all the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. Those of you who were here last week will know that we're embarked on a series of three sermons uh, on the subject of Christian giving, Priorities 4, under the heading The Great Opportunity. Last week, those of you who will hear will remember that we were back in the Old Testament times about uh, when uh, the people of Israel had arrived in the Promised Land and the land was split up between the 12 tribes with 11 of them getting land allocations so that they would be able to grow their crops and have pasture for their flocks and all the things that enabled them to have wealth and to flourish. And the 12th tribe had no land, the Levites, because they were responsible for the worship of God and the other tribes had to support them, as well as making their contributions uh, as the first slice of their income uh, under the heading of First to the Lord. This week, move forward a thousand years or so, and here we are um, under the subject of following Jesus. Uh, And I was quite pleased when I decided this subject, because you can take it in two ways. First of all, you can take it as following Jesus in the sense of his disciples following him, uh, following the way that he sets out for us. But you could also take it that following Jesus means after Jesus. And both of those are uh, entirely accurate for the uh, reading that we had and which I've just quoted from. It's about what happened to the very earliest church and the way that um, between themselves and in relation to God, they acted. And later on I'm going to pick up a little, uh, some some of the ideas that uh, are embraced in that. But first, I want to reflect on what must be the most staggering and heartwarming event of the week, which is the recovery of the Chilean miners, and what that might say to us in this context. Um, It seemed extraordinary to me, not just the technical and engineering feat which enabled them to be brought to the surface, but what they said when they arrived, the way in which they spoke about their ordeal, and the extent to which they were prepared to talk about their religious faith and how important that had been in surviving those two months and a bit. One of them said, there were 34 of us down that mine, 33 miners and God. I don't know whether he was specifically referring to the story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, but you might remember from Daniel how those three were cast into the burning fiery furnace because they refused to bow down before idols and King Nebuchadnezzar came and looked in the furnace which he'd had stoked up to seven times its normal heat and he looked in and he said were there not three men who were put in there how is it I see four and that fourth uh, was an angel or, or God's Holy Spirit with the three men So the miners felt that God was with them in a tangible presence. Another one said, God and the devil fought and God won. If only perhaps our faith could be that simple. I'm not suggesting we want to be put in a position where our faith is tested in that way because how many of us feel that we could 
endure and put up with the circumstances that they did. But there is something about their community together which does perhaps mirror what we were hearing about in our reading and what might, in a perfect world, represent our community together. Now granted, they weren't there by choice, but nevertheless, they had to find a way of being with one another uh, and everything, everything that they did would have been known to the others, wouldn't it? There would have been no privacy. Uh, Everything they had, they shared. And this is what the early church was like. Now, you'll be pleased to hear, since we're talking about Christian giving, uh, that I'm not going to suggest that immediately everyone goes out, sells all they've got, brings all the money in, and we have a great big bean bean feast of it. Um, That's not what we're suggesting doing at all. Um, The circumstances then were different from the circumstances today. And in any event, if you read on in Acts, uh, it appears that uh, there's an element of perhaps exaggeration in this summary that people gave what they wanted to give and people gave generously, but not always everything that they had. Uh, And that seemed to be fine. Uh, Interestingly, if you read the story of Ananias and Sapphira, uh, you will recall that they were struck down dead by God, not because they hadn't given everything, but because they'd said that they'd given everything and yet had held back a piece of land for their own use. In other words, they'd been dishonest. But what I am going to suggest is that uh, in this passage there is something really important for us as a Christian community. And the thing that's important is that that Christian giving is simply part of Christian life. In other words, giving wasn't the one thing that set them apart as Christians. No, it was belief uh, and attempting to follow Jesus which set them apart. But as a result of that, one of the natural things that they did as well as praising God, as well as eating together in one another's homes, was that they wanted to make sure that their possessions were shared fairly with the other members of this growing community. And bearing in mind that many of these people would have been right at the lower end of the scale, there must therefore have been some at the upper end who were better off and who could contribute more. And so just as last week where we were talking about the tribes contributing for the common good, especially of the tribe that had no land, so here we're talking about people contributing as they're able. And in case people weren't here last week, I want to make an important distinction for two categories of people. First of all, those who are already giving as much as they possibly can and possibly overextending themselves so that they can maintain their giving to the church. This is not intended to make them feel guilty. They should feel proud for what they're doing. And so we're not expecting people who already give enough to give more. Nor indeed are we expecting those for whom whom, um, to give more would create family tensions, particularly those where, where perhaps a husband or a wife comes to church and the wife or the husband doesn't. That's not what we're about. But there are enough of us who are outside of those two categories that I think it seems entirely fair to ask us all to consider whether our giving to this church at this time is the right amount. One of the great advantages of being able to have a series over three weeks is that that, that I can reflect on uh, what people said to me after the first week uh, and take it up this week and next week. And one of the comments that was made to me was, um, well, 
now you've made me feel guilty about giving to the church, but, but I do give to other Christian organisations. How does that fit in? Uh, and you'll be pleased to hear that I am going to address that, but I'm going to address that next week and always had planned to address it next week because it's a really important subject. Christian giving doesn't only mean giving to this church, but it means all that we give to Christian organisations. Uh, and another point that was made, and which to an extent I was able to... Um, to reflect on in the later services last week was at 8 o'clock someone said well yeah but this church has got so much money it doesn't know what to do with it why are you asking for more well the fact is that we do have reserves in our balance sheet and uh, if you wanted me to I could go through and analyse why it is that that money isn't available to us but just to emphasise the point that I made last week this church does have a significant amount of money in long term investments which are providing income that at the moment we're using fully on our current needs. Um, the PCC took the decision to set that money aside so that we wouldn't be in the position of um, taking the inheritance now. That the inheritance that we've received from those who went before us is going to be passed on to those who come in the next generation. We could spend it. The PCC could decide to spend it. All that would do would be to put off the day when the living congregation, us, have to take responsibility for our own income and expenditure. That's why we're treating this money as long-term investments. And I think that's the right thing to do because don't we see in some of the public sphere the fact that uh, by getting into huge debt, what we're effectively doing is not passing on as in the past an inheritance to our children but we're passing on an obligation and a burden and basically we have had a time like others have never had before us and now it looks like we'll never have again because as a generation we are so greedy we've taken what was handed on to us in the past and we've stolen from the future as well and I don't think that's a good way to behave and we're seeing the effect of that uh, in our public finances at the moment. That, of course, is a gross simplification, but, but there is an element of that, which I think, um, with a slight economic, economist background, is relevant to what we're considering. And so back to ourselves, to the Christian community, of doing things together and of our giving being simply one aspect of that. Our giving is to be mutual, it's for, for the benefit of one another and for the benefit of the church as a whole and therefore reflecting God's generosity to us. It's to be proportionate. As I said, not asking those who already give more than they can afford to give more. But it's to be prayerful. It's to be done in a way which is considered. I do expect people to respond to what I'm saying, but I don't necessarily expect them to respond to the full extent that I think is possible. What I hope this is, is the beginning of a process where we perhaps take our giving more seriously than we have done in the past, and that it's a regular aspect and feature of our life together. One of the things that we want to do is to avoid getting into a position where we have to raise vast amounts of money for this building and for the church centre. We know that it can be done but we know how, to an extent, over the last four years or more, it's taken our attention from all the other things. 
the conservation project has been a huge and wonderful success and on a day like this we're just sitting in the building uh, of such beauty and magnificence but it's meant that we've had to focus on that not to the exclusion of other things uh, but to the detriment I think of other things and I believe that with the size of the congregation that we have there are so many more things that we could be doing and that some of those will rely on having um, a higher level of income we manage most things on a shoestring and we manage most things because we have willing and competent volunteers but there are areas of our church life where I think that we could do with some paid assistance particularly in relation to our work with young families so there are things that we could be doing and over time even against the worst economic background that anybody could imagine I believe that we are capable of doing great things and that's why I've headed this series The Great Opportunity. I think that's what it is. I think the money is simply an indicator of what we're all about as a church. If you look at some of the most successful churches in the country you wouldn't believe the amount of income they receive from their regular congregations and you wouldn't believe also the extent to which they're able to use that money both within and outside their churches. I could point you to some churches that you might like to look at the website of which tells you what they do. And although they may be bigger than us, they're not dramatically bigger than us, with us at our current size. So there is a vast amount to go for. Uh, and the point I want to leave with you particularly is that what we're trying to do in this is to follow Jesus. That following Jesus means following the model that he set, listening to the words that he gave us and that have come down to us in scripture and doing our best to, to model that way for others and to follow the model that he set for us. And so to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.